What's this? A new show after more than a year? Today we emerge from our bunkers, just in time for the end of civilization, in this episode of The Barstool Historian. From New York, New York, and Geneva, Illinois, it's the Barstool Historian Podcast, broadcasting as usual from the Lion's Arms Tavern, the only tavern currently open in uh, in New York City right now. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about why that's the case, but first, uh, let me just introduce uh, my friends with me as always on the New York end of the bar, Tim. Hello, Tim. Hello, gentlemen. And over on the Geneva, Illinois side of the bar is Ed. Hello, Ed. Ahoy, ahoy. <laughs> so since the last podcast we did, uh, which was um, an embarrassingly long time ago, that's my fault, I'm sorry, uh, I've just been really slow at editing. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> Distracted. Uh, the, Coo- lot- the Stanley Kubrick of podcasts. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Yeah, we have we have episodes <laughs> that are basically like my version of of that movie AI. So, uh, Steven Steven yeah, Spielberg will basically Tim, respect. <laughs> I couldn't put it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's fine. So Steven Spielberg will finish the editing on some of these old podcast episodes. <laughs> um, anyway, a lot has changed. I don't know if I've ever made more of an understatement in my life. For starters, uh, Tim and his lovely wife, Colleen, are now parents. That's the biggest and most important change. Congratulations, Tim. Thank you all. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, We we welcomed on January 24th the beautiful Henry Finnegan DeMarco into the world, and he is a joy. Uh, And... Ed, I think, still has the same number of daughters. Uh, no, I, I've, I've had five more. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> five. I have ten kids now. Five, five more. Take for, that, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even named two of them. What made it even more miraculous is it was That's five. That's what a baller move it is. <laughs> what made it even more miraculous is it was five more from two, from two pregnancies. So... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how the math works on that. But I, I, was, do, I do have the same amount of children. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, and then the other big change is, uh, and it sounds like this is science fiction. Every time I say it, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. We are locked down in our homes. Uh, every adult I know is um, going through uh, kinds of uh, mental and emotional stress, uh, the kind that they've never experienced before in their life. Um, and we're all just trying to get through it. And one of the things that um, I've been really li- relying on more than anything else to make me uh, just feel connected to the world as I'm crouching in my <laughs> in my bunker is um, it's just podcasts. And so um, I reached out to Ed and Tim and I said a couple of days ago, and I said, I got to get we got to get this going again because if if for no one else's benefit, my own. But I think there might be <laughs> some other people. Get the gang back together. <laughs> That's right. But Building I, a t- and and uh, you, you know you know it's bad. Obviously, a- anyone 
who's listening to this will will say, of course, I know it's bad, but we were trying to find a silver lining, not a silver lining, but um, a humorous element to this. And uh, we were talking about how eventually, you know, it's going to be bad when uh, the, the news anchors start to look really bad because the supply chain of makeup has been disrupted <laughs> and and they start to look like, you know, they're melting and their hair is bad. And, and you're actually starting to see that because some of these uh, anchors are actually broadcasting from their own homes now and they're doing their own hair and makeup and they, <laughs> some of them look unrecognizable. <laughs> At a certain point they're, they're, uh, they're going to start going for the, the, uh, the CVS bought um, clown makeup. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! The uh, makeup gun from The Simpsons. Uh, yeah, sure. It's gonna be uh, set to horror. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new. There's a new. Uh, there's a new measurement for what you're describing, Tim. It's called the cold sore index. <laughs> oh. Uh, but anyway, so so we yeah I I figured that. Certain members of reporting our... live from New York. <laughs> this wart on my face. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> um, so uh, I figured that there'd be certainly members of our of our uh, our fandom and family and friends who would appreciate hearing from us in one uh, shape or another. So the the we're gonna try to get out as many of these as possible. Um, in this one silver lining is that that uh, the uh, the situation is going to curb, I think, some of my more um, uh, obsessive and uh, nitpicky uh, uh, tendencies as an editor, and I'll just be able to push content out without agonizing about it. Um, so the 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 sound of these shows is going to be a little cruder, a little rougher than what you've heard before. Not as polished. The format may uh, be a little uh, fluid. But um, we'll just we'll just uh, do the John, best we can on. as we go along. They don't remember what the sound of these episodes. <laughs> <were>. <laughs> uh, well, you you um, uh, you got me there, Ed. Uh, <laughs> well, one of the things that I would like to start doing, and and um, uh, I'm going to steal an idea from uh, a podcast I like very much called Lexicon Valley, hosted by uh, John McWhorter. The linguistics podcast, but he basically uses it as an excuse to just, you know, um, be an amateur DJ. And he plays songs that have only um, uh, the the slimmest connection to his actual uh, subject matter. So what I wanted to do, and I'll add this in the edit, guys, is uh, play a song um, from from <laughs> from Tom Lehrer that I think is appropriate. Uh, a bit of um, I mean, it's it's dark humor, but I think in this situation, but appropriate. It's a song called I Got It from Agnes. I love my friends and they love me. We're just as close as we can be. And just because we really care, whatever we get, we share. I got it from Agnes, she got it from Jim We all agree it must have been Louise who gave it to him Now she got it from Harry, who got it from Marie And everybody knows that Marie got it from me 
Giles got it from Daphne. She got it from Joan, who picked it up in County Cork, a kiss in the Blarney Stone. Pierre gave it to Sheila, who must have brought it there. He got it from Francois and Jacques. Aha! Lucky Pierre. Tim actually has another song that is, is <laughs> maybe just as appropriate. Tim, how does that song go? Oh, baby, you have got a disease. <laughs> and they said she's just a friend. Yeah. And they said she's just a friend. Oh, baby, you got a disease. All right. <laughs> that, I mean, that's that's fantastic. You know, broadcast from around the world, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> but they can't. This is, this is you know, not us warming up anymore. Well, they're they're they're, bar- they're barred from traveling here, so I can't be uh, harmed by anyone. You know? <laughs> yeah. You're fine. You're golden, man. Oh, well. Any case, so uh, moving along with our somewhat improvised format here. I had suggested to the fellas here that we do uh, this day in history um, topic, but getting the dates wrong, uh, we found ourselves in the position of doing a yesterday in history <laughs> because this is going to go up. On I don't the 24th. know if it was getting dates wrong, but yeah. uh, I'm sure it was my mistake, no matter what it was. But uh, so this is now a yesterday in history. Yesterday being March 23rd. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Um, no, 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 no. Let's lean into it, John. Come on. Let's lean into it? That's that was our the, new thing. That was the plan all along. So what, what oh, you're yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. It was a plan all along. Yesterday um, I'm going to go with that. That sounds good. We always wanted yesterday in history. So, um, so, Ed, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yesterday in history, 23rd of March. Well, yesterday in history was a uh, fantastic time in 1775 if you wanted the colonies burning with sedition, and they were, because yesterday uh, we were in the middle of the second Virginia Convention. What was that? Basically... um, Boston, I'm not going to go through a Boston Tea Party. The the British shut Boston Harbor down, and that alarmed Virginia quite a bit and the planters in Virginia. And Virginia was the biggest colony in uh, the uh, United, well, non-United colonies of uh, North America for the British. So if the British could isolate Massachusetts and Boston and not let it spread, it would not be a big deal. They could punish those mass, those mass holes at their own discretion. But Virginia had a firebrand and the firebrand's name was Patrick Henry. And he had for 10 years um, railed against uh, the lack of representation in British Parliament, uh, Virginia interests railed against the uh, high-handed uh, British uh, governors that were uh, uh, sent to uh, the colonies. So on this day, during the uh, 
Virginia Convention, he offered three resolutions. And the first is, you know, a pretty, you know, standard one. And I will not quote it verbatim. I'm just going to say, like, it, it, it almost sounds like it is from the Constitution. You know what? I am going to quote it verbatim. That a well-regulated militia composed of gentlemen and human is the natural strength and only security of a free government. And that such a militia in this colony will forever render it unnecessary for the mother country to keep us for the purposes of defense any standing army of mercenary forces. So basically, hey, if we have our own militia, uh, you know, you don't need to keep these redcoats here, right? We're paying for it. And the second one, like the establishment of such a militia is, you know, by the way, the first one, obviously, the Second Amendment kind of echoes in that. But the, the second one is uh, the establishment of such a militia at this time, peculiarly necessary to the state of our laws for the protection and defense of the country, some of which are already expired and others will do so shortly. So, and that basically is because um, the uh, governor, Lord Dunmorehead, prorogued and fancy talk for dismissing the House of Burgesses uh, several times. And this convention, I should say, was essentially a meeting of the uh, Virginia House of Burgesses um, in Richmond, Virginia, um, like out of session, basically like we're going to get together the governor we're we're going to god damn it john i i <laughs> promised myself i was going to swear this episode but <laughs> governor we're going to meet and we're we're going to come to some decisions um because the governor is keeps on like hey wait you know the best way to deal with the crisis is make sure the legislature can't meet so in any case um it's it's more just, you know, and militia is necessary. Militia is obviously necessary. There's, you know, Native Americans on our frontiers, et cetera. Um, the third one will lead to what we're really talking about. And resolved, therefore, that his colony be immediately put in a posture of defense that a committee be appointed to prepare a plan for embodying, arming, and disciplining such a number of men that may be sufficient for that purpose. So, I mean, it, so it sounds a little anodyne, but that touched off a firestorm of shouts and debate because the uh, clear message was the colonies in Virginia particularly, needs an army to fight the British because the defense, I mean, they were talking about facing the Redcoats. So that, the first two were eagerly accepted, but that was contentious. And it was debated and debated and debated because they knew if they adopted this, that the British government was going to see Virginia in a state of rebellion. Patrick Henry had his most famous speech. 
obviously, at this moment. Um, he ended up serving as governor of Virginia twice. Um, he, to say a couple words about him, he was a, unlike a lot of the Virginia gentry at that time, he was a self-made man. He was from a pretty ordinary um, father uh, who married into a moderately wealthy family, but uh, he did not he's not like he's not Thomas Jefferson, not George Washington. He didn't come from a plantation with five thousand slaves and uh, ten thousand acres. He is a relatively um, you know, simple um, brought up person who got to these heights through his own initiative. He didn't go to William and Mary, unlike most of the other delegates. Um, they couldn't afford it. He apprenticed to a lawyer, and that's and apparently, allegedly, um, only for two months before he passed the uh, uh, was a- able to get into the bar and made a, a good living for himself. But he was known as a firebrand, and his speech. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because I'm not an idiot, but. Um, in response to those, you know, the the other opposite people, like the British are going to see us. They're going to – you saw what happened to Boston. They closed down all of Boston Harbor. There's, you know, 10,000 redcoats in Boston. You know, why do you want this for Virginia? And his essential speech was – they're ask the delegates like we've been doing this. This is not the first time we've been having to deal with Britain. They've had stamp act after bad stamp act from 16, sorry, 1765 and the lamp of experience uh, in his terms showed that they were going to do the same thing. And that, False hopes of maybe they won't be that bad this time was no way of judging the future but by the past. And urged the delegates that three million people armed in the holy cause of liberty – I have to do a side here because of those three million people, probably like 600,000 were slaves. So they're not armed in the holy cause of liberty, but all right. And in such a country as – that which we possess are invincible by by any force which our enemy can send against us. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Again, you know, Patrick Henry owned like 10 slaves. Forbid it, almighty God, I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. It was um, a resounding success. And the resolution passed. 65 to 60. It really was that close. Upon which... The Earl of Dunmore, who I can, you know, I didn't read his biography or anything, sounds like kind of a coward. 
<laughs> evacuated the uh, gunpowder of uh, in himself and his family to uh, ships in uh, to the Chesapeake Bay away from Williamsburg, the capital. And I and I can't I can't believe this actually happened. Patrick Henry raised a troop of like 500 troops and marched down to Williamsburg when they were kind of in the middle of this, you know, like finishing it. And they actually paid him like 338 pounds <laughs> to basically like, let's not start a fight right now. <laughs> Gave him money and his, his men money, which they spent on more gunpowder. And uh, yeah, so I, it was a great, I, Wonderful day in history for the United States. I've done all my, uh, you know, cautions about, you know, Virginia, everything. But it was a big step because Virginia was the biggest colony in the country. So any hopes that Massachusetts could be isolated um, went out the window. And a big part was um, because of Patrick Henry and... Uh, other people uh, in attendance, um, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, et cetera. I'd like to just take and you know, researching this, you know, briefly, I was really taken aback, uh, by one thing, the, uh, because I've been in this house and I didn't realize how crucial he was the, um, chair of that convention was one Peyton Randolph from Williamsburg. And he indeed would be elected the uh, president of the first Continental Congress and the second Continental Congress. He was super esteemed by everyone in Virginia he was the son of the only man in Virginia that was knighted by the crown. He was universally thought of as the leader of Virginia. So why haven't you heard more about Peyton Randolph? For one simple reason. He was elected by the Continental Congress, and that's where he died he died of apoplexy while eating with Thomas Jefferson in 1775 at the Continental Congress. And that's why Peyton Randolph is not one of the, well, is a founding father, but not one you, you think of because he died right before the fireworks really happened. So at the anyway. table, at the table, he, he died. Yes. Or he started bleeding out of his mouth at the table. Oh, my so, must have been he, quite grim. He was Thomas Jefferson's uh, cousin. And again, Thomas Jefferson was the junior, you know, like, I'm Thomas Jefferson, but, like, this is Peyton f***ing Randolph. I mean, <laughs> he's he's the big shot here. So, yeah. I mean, if you look at him, I mean, he is a rather portly fellow so i mean if you're gonna die at 55 or whatever in uh 1775 yeah being really fat is probably you know, a logical way 
But God knows, back then, he could have just eaten some bad tavern food and boom. You, you know, Ed, uh, as, as he had been, he had been ill over time, so it could could have been cancer or something like that. They didn't diagnose at the and, time. And and by the I, way, the the tavern you you talk about a tavern in, in, in Williamsburg. I cannot help but but remember or imagine like the current Colonial Williamsburg taverns. So, oh yeah, with costumed pretty, interpreters. Pretty, pretty Hey, um, the first Virginia, con- uh, sorry, the fourth, the one that really convid- put them into war. I actually think the first and the fourth were at Raleigh's Tavern in Williamsburg, Virginia. You can still uh, still visit today. Uh, the second uh, convention, actually, a lot of people do think it happened in Williamsburg. It didn't. It happened in Richmond huh. at a church in Richmond. So. Richmond, the bigger by that time settlement, and uh, excuse for, excuse me for the burp. <laughs> the big the staying bigger settlement, staying and in the, the edit, one, <laughs> and and the one that uh, had the uh, the benefit of not being right next to the governor was a uh, a good location though. I couldn't help but think of uh, when you were describing that you know he had apoplexy. In front of all of these people in, in a public setting, I was thinking of the scene from Airplane when, um, <laughs> when Leslie Nielsen is describing the symptoms of the illness on the plane, and Captain Over starts yeah. exhibiting them. Like, can you imagine, like, there's a scribe at the table. First, he has severe flatulence. <laughs> then bleeding from the eyes. Oh, God. But then, anyway, that was a little bonus because I'm like, I've heard of him. I remember seeing his house. It was a nice house in Williamsburg. I'm like, this guy could have been. He probably, no, he wouldn't have been the first president. I mean, George Washington had that locked down, but he's one of those guys. You, you like, oh yeah, he was the first secretary of whatever, and <laughs> or he was the governor of Virginia. He would have, you know, if he had li- lived another twenty years, he, you know, senator, blah blah blah. He had that locked down for sure. Well, one of those guys. Well, uh, uh, Ed, you set me up very well f- uh, in your mention of, of flatulence, or Tim, your mention of flatulence. Um, <laughs> you set me up very well for the next song I'm going to stick in here. This is a song uh, that also has some uh, relevance to a bit about the, the bit about um, Adolf Hitler from a previous episode and Adolf Hitler's doctor. This song is a song about flatulence and. Hitler called De Fuhrer's Face. When De Fuhrer says, We is the master race, we hire, hire. Right in the Fuhrer's face, not to love the Fuhrer is a great disgrace, so we hire, hire. Right in the Fuhrer's face. When her Goebbels says, We own the world in space, we hire. Right in her Goebbels face, when her Goering says, they'll never bomb this place. We hire, hire, right in her Goering's face. Are we not the Superman? Aryan pure Superman. Yeah, we is the Superman. Super duper Superman. Is this Nazi land so good? Would you leave it if you could? Yeah, this Nazi land is good. 
by Spike Jones and his city slickers. Uh, Tim, uh, on the topic of flatulence, <laughs> you had you had your own uh, comment yes. to make the about bowels, that. The bowels that bind, <laughs> yes. Well, well, first I want to say that, you know, when looking at yesterday in history, uh, we, we're seeking words of inspiration. And so... You know, I was looking at some of our uh, famous leaders, some of our most august American leaders, and I found a quote uh, that I think is really apropos and 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 it it resonates with all Americans and all the world and what we need at this time. On March twenty third, nineteen ninety, Vice President Dan Quayle said. <laughs> If we do not succeed, then we run the risk of failure. <laughs> and um, he said that, and that was a prepared speech. Um, he really thought about it uh, at, at the Phoenix Republican Forum. And uh, in a Yogi Berra kind of, of insightful way, he, he's right on the money. We will all be okay. Uh, because as you review our podcasts and you look at history, if the bar stool historian teaches us anything, it's that the human race survives from Neanderthals or the morons who call them Neanderthals to uh, the plague of the 14th century to the scourge of Hitler and Hitlerite Germany. And that brings me to one of the strange uh, discoveries about March 23rd, that it resonates oddly with fascism on uh, a few different points. And this is why farting Hitler was an important, <laughs> an important segment. <laughs> the, the long way around. <laughs> today, today, 
Okay, can't wait to you to wrap this up with the bow. Oh yeah, today in the high wire act. If if anyone knows, I deliver. I deliver, and I will deliver. So today, in 1919, Mussolini organized the fascista combattimento. <laughs> To uh, to bring up our friend <laughs> Patrick Taylor, which which became the fascist party in 1921. Very strange, but you know, happened on March 23rd. Also, Werner von Braun was born on March 23rd. <laughs> and in 1912, he was an engineer and an SS officer who launched. And invented, he was a rocket scientist, the V-2 rocket in 1942, and he was responsible for the first rocket that was launched into space, and he was actually hired by the U.S. government after World War II. In exchange for clemency, they asked him to join uh, uh, the U.S. government research on rocket science, and he became part of an operation called Operation Paperclip, in which he developed the Saturn and Mercury Redstone, uh, which put the first uh, uh, U.S. astronaut in space, and in 1961, that was in 1961, and that led to uh, the Saturn V booster rocket that put men on the moon in 1969. Strange, but indeed... Uh, he was a fat, he was a Nazi and uh, he was born on March 23rd. And then finally, to to bring it to the Reichstag <laughs> in 1933, the Enabling Act granted Hitler dictatorial powers. Uh, that was on March 23rd, 1933. So March 23rd is a seminal date in various years for various fascists and Nazis. Interesting. Finally, Peter Lorre, who is... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who is a... That Hungarian-American actor, but, but did most of his early work in Berlin, and he, was, he lived in Berlin. He died a, a somewhat sad and ignominious death very disappointed actor and director in on March 23rd 1964 and what i found very interesting about his death is that Vincent Price <laughs> delivered the eulogy so no one more oh. uh, creepy and strange could deliver the parting words in memoriam for an innately creepy and strange human being that brings us endless joy. So right. all March 23rd, all creepy, all German, and most of it fascist and Nazi. So now, what? Oh, go, 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 ahead. go ahead. So go ahead. No, 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 no. Please, please. I'm transparent, and I open the floor to questions. No, please. no. I, 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 <laughs> I give the conch shell back to you. <laughs> okay. So, so now uh, I want to completely shift, because this is a grab bag, after all, uh, of yesterday in history. And uh, yesterday in history, in 1743, Handel's Messiah premiered in London's Covent Garden. 
And why do I say this? Why do I bring up Handel's Messiah? Well, first of all, the actual premiere took place a year before in Dublin in April, April 13th of 1742. Uh, but I bring up Handel's Messiah because we are now in an age, in a moment in history, when we, we ask for God and science to come together in equal measure. And Handel's Messiah was written in 24 days. It's a work of genius. And it was written in the Age of Enlightenment. And the librettist, Charles Jennings, who was a, an evangelical Christian, was concerned about the irreligiosity of people and the agnosticism of people in the Age of Enlightenment. So he wrote this libretto and he brought it to Handel and he said he wanted him to write an oratorio to be uh, performed the week before Holy Week so that those who were agnostic, those who, who only believed in rationality and were devoid of faith would be reminded of faith and Christianity before Holy Week. So one myth about Handel's Messiah is that uh, it's performed on Christmas, but it actually was intended for Easter week, and it was intended to awaken the sense of faith in people. So, so two, I, 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 go ahead. Tw 24 days, really? 24 Free. days. Pre-cocaine, pre-Adderall, 24 days? Yeah. Pre, pre, wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, they did have, I think they had cocoa and, and uh, you know. That <laughs> they they had coffee. Injected <laughs> 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 my veins. <laughs> the politician's daughter was accused of drinking water. <laughs> anyway. So, so, so uh, Handel's Messiah is Old Testament. It's Christian doctrine. It's about the prophecies of Christ and the second coming and all of this. And it's actually the first real Christian rock piece to bring, yeah. <laughs> to bring humanity <laughs> into popular You're in that music. lamp a little far now. <laughs> I, look, I'm, I'm trying to throw a broad net. And, and I say this, um, I bring it up because uh, I think... Handel's Messiah, my first experience with it was probably hearing it in a cliched kind of way, but my first real experience of it was singing Handel's Messiah with the Holy Cross Choir at Parents Weekend on uh, November of 1994, uh, and it was the first time that I heard it as a singer surrounded by 130 other voices, and it was truly transcendent. So I think people in their homes looking for things to do should listen to Handel's Messiah, the whole thing, from start to finish, because they'll find uh, that it is truly a transformative piece and something special and something beautiful. And I will end with this, which is most people think you stand during the Messiah because George II stood up. And in fact, there is historical records that indicate that, that George II was present at the Covent Garden premiere of Handel's Messiah. But 
it's uncertain whether people stand during the uh, Hallelujah Chorus because of the king. Some people say he had a bad back and just sprung up at that moment. Some people say he was inspired by the music. But in researching this, the interesting fact or the interesting theory, I should say, that that I read is that the Hallelujah Chorus came during the service when uh, the part of the of the Christian service in the Anglican Church and and probably the Catholic Church, now that I'm thinking about it, when people stood up. And if you're a churchgoer, you see it's fairly formulaic. Even when you hear prayers outside of the context of Mass, you kind of, in, in the Catholic faith, you kind of recite the prayers in the way that you would at Mass, and you feel almost a Pavlovian sense of kneeling or standing. People probably... People probably did. That's, the, to me, the most believable. Uh, people stood up because they felt that uh, that was part of the service uh, when they should. It resonated with that part of, of the service. And that's the first time that I had actually heard that. And I think that's the most believable piece. Uh, that's the most believable theory that resonates with me. So uh, on a serious note, I offer that and I ask people to in this time when you have many days yourself to really listen to Handel's Messiah, whether in a secular notion or not, it's elevating and transformative and it's beautiful. And, and when the hallelujah chorus comes, stand and lift a glass uh, as we're doing tonight. I'm having Patron Silver, which is really oh, great. But, uh, you know, I figured do something different. Usually I'm drinking scotch. Well, Tim, so, uh, can, that's it, John. And, and fantastic. I can, can, I, can I just Tim, tell you, Tim, Tim that um, – uh, may, may I just tell you, nobody handles handle the way that you handle handle. <laughs> I, can, I can barely handle fantastic. it. Fantastic. More than I can handle Oh, my handle. God. Sorry, that's, that's uh, a line I stole from uh, Preston Surge's movie, Unfaithfully <laughs> Yours. So I take no credit for it. Sorry, Ed, right. you were going to comment about the booze? Oh, I, I, I was <laughs> about to say, oh, what killer uh, Sieg, man. And uh, I am having a pinball from Two Brothers. And uh, um, it's it's a juicy pale ale. And also, dude, again, all right, man, you can... I, I was about, I was about, I was seriously about to be like, are you suggesting people sing? <laughs> hey, that too. They can. Well, I, I'm sorry. So after, after three weeks, if this gets worse, people, it's time to start singing Handel's Messiah. Hey, listen, and, if it lasts long enough, we, we'll all be able to write it without even having heard it. Isn't that the theory? <laughs> well, or is that Shakespeare? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sorry, I'd guys. Like, I'm sorry, guys. I, I, I completely forgot our, our normal uh, what we're drinking portion. But uh, the reason oh, no, for that, I, keeping, well, say, keeping with the it. times, the reason for that, keeping with the times, is that I am right now enjoying a tall glass of absolutely nothing. Because the anti-anxiety medication I had to take <laughs> earlier today, because of this crisis, doesn't allow me to have any alcohol. So, so that's what I'm enjoying. 
Sweet tall hey, glass nice. of nothing. Yeah. Um, oh no, that's not nothing. That's not nothing. <laughs> that's not nothing. Depends on what yeah, kind of medication that's you're talking a, about. That's a something. I have a, I have a, I have a Xanax, and uh, maybe I'll have a beer, like on the uh, when the flight uh, lands. Yeah. Right. Hey, listen. <laughs> the difference between you and me, John, is I'm also having that medication with my Patron oh. silver. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, I'll put that on the show notes. <laughs> well, Tim, you started off uh, your segment talking about uh, August Americans and, and words of inspiration. Uh, and that really does um, team me up very nicely for uh, my next news- musical selection, which is a spoken word performance from uh, an August American. Actually, I'm wrong about that. He's actually Canadian, if I'm not mistaken. But we love him as an American. You're, you're, you're Leonard, rocking this, John. Le, 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 <laughs> Leonard Nimoy. This is Leonard Nimoy's <laughs> spoken word performance, mostly spoken word performance of If I Had a Hammer. <laughs> oh, no. Well, if I had a song, I'd sing it in the morning. I'd sing it in the evening. All over this life, I'd sing out danger, I'd sing out a warning, I'd sing out love between my brothers and my sisters, all over this life. Well, I have a hammer, and I have a bell, and I have a song. A song to sing all over this land. It's the hammer of justice. It's the bell of freedom. And the song is the song of love. Love between all of my brothers. And love between all of my sisters. All over this land. So that was Leonard Nimoy with "If I Had a Hammer," and uh, it reminds me that It'll since the last time, sex with your ears. <laughs> it did remind me that since the last time we recorded, I think um, Tim and I actually met with another cast member of uh, the original Star Trek series, um, George right. Takei, and I had we we were the we were the first ones yeah. there, but the last ones in line to meet him, and. Oh. Uh, uh, and when we got up there, Tim walks up to George Takei and says, I've closed a lot of gin joints in my life, but the first first time I've closed down a bookstore. <laughs> and um, and to which uh, George Takei re- replied, ha, oh, my. <laughs> Responds that. I'm like okay, <laughs> I I that's yeah. Well, and he and he and he walked into the room. Killer, killer line. Love it. He love it. He walked into the room, uh, and everybody applauded. And he gave us all the live long and prosper sign. <laughs> because he assumes you're uh, Brekkies. Well, anyway, that was uh, this episode of the Barstool Historian. This is an experiment that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll adapt and change just like everything else that's going on in our life. Um, if I can get it up for, get this page up for this episode, 
Um, well, that'll be great. But uh, I've, I've created a Patreon page because it would be great to get a little bit of um, spare change at this uh, at this moment in time. Let us know that you appreciate uh, the show. I have set up some, um, and I haven't told you guys this yet, so you're going to find out. Okay. <laughs> Same time as everybody else. I've set up a Wonderful. couple of uh, three tiers of patron of patronage. So the first tier will give you access to some exclusive, uh, never heard before heard barstool historian content. Uh, probably stuff that I will cobble together from a couple of episodes that. Um, where the recordings didn't necessarily uh, pan out correctly, but we got some gems in there. Um, one of them was an episode that started off uh, with me giving Tim a uh, a jug of moonshine that I bought him down in uh, oh, the Smoky Mountains, God. and that be yeah of, uh, an infamous That's incident. <laughs> the, ra- the the rare time that I yeah. was the most sober one. On an yeah, interview. that was that was uh, a, a a glorious mistake, um, and uh, the second tier is going to be um, some sort of on air shout out to you. So don't expect free ones from now on because we're not going to do it for free. <laughs> and then yeah, level there's, level there's three, three, the v- there's, three <laughs> there's three tiers. Level one, John gets. Up off his ass. <laughs> level two starts editing. Level three, you actually yeah. get episodes. It's sort so, of like a, it's it's please go to level three. It's not clear whether it's a it's a paint a patronage uh, situation or a hostage taking situation. It, so. It's an extortion Dude, situation. I, actually, Ed, tier one is is a date with John. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Exactly. One night in a fantasy suite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, well, we'll see if we can make it work. I'll, I'll have to talk to my wife about it. I'm, I'm sure she'll be cool with it. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> you can you can uh, you can follow us on all the normal things. I don't even I, at this hour I don't even remember what all of our social media is. Um, Go to barstoolhistorian.com. Find the links there to our Face Schnook page, <laughs> our Twitter feed, um, all that stuff. Follow us. Show that you care. And most importantly, take care of yourself, especially if you are one of those people uh, who are uh, among our friends and family uh, who are in the healthcare um, line of work. Please stay safe. Indeed. And hopefully you'll hear from us very soon. Uh, Bye. 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 Bye.